0: Well, hello, CCV. It's good to be with you. Most of you know that I live in Louisville, Kentucky. And I guess it was about six weeks ago that Mark Moore was preaching at the church where I served for a long time. And that same morning, I was preaching about 30 miles away for a different church over in Indiana. But evidently, in Mark's sermon back at my home church that day, he was teaching about the significance and the meaning of circumcision. And then he went on and he said to this Kentucky church where I preached for 30 years, he says to this audience of thousands, and for those of you who don't know what circumcision is, the next time you see Dave Stone, just go up and ask him. (laughs) So I'm 30 miles away preaching, and of course I am totally unaware of what Mark Moore, the wizard of words, the prince of professors, has said about me. But when I finish preaching at this other church in Indiana, I innocently drive across the street from where I've preached to get something to eat. But a family that I've never met is heading to their car, and they had just heard me preach. And so I got to meet them, and we got to talking. And while I'm meeting this nice couple and their three teenage daughters, a 30-year-old man gets out of a drive through at another restaurant, and he comes running up toward me, and he is a total stranger, and he stops, and he gets right in front of me, he says, hey Dave, what can you tell me about circumcision? (laughs) You talk about an awkward moment. This family is taken back. I'm totally confused and caught off guard, and I say, "Ah, not a whole lot, you know? (laughs) And then the guy says it again. "Uh, Dave, what can you tell me about circumcision? And he's giving me a look like, you know what I'm talking about. And I'm trying to give him a look back, I don't know what you're talking about. You're a weirdo. (laughs) Slowly step away, right? And so the perplexed guy heads back to his car while this family that I've just met cautiously begins to slowly step away from me. And they get in their car and they leave. And it's a few hours later when I find out what Mark Moore had said, and now I know the rest of the story, but I have no way of finding that family and trying to explain to them what had happened. So a big thank you to Mark Moore <laughs> for his visit to our region. <laughs> I appreciate your friendship, Mark. Uh, On a serious note, he did do a great job at our church and and our people loved him back there. But when I was in that parking lot with that family, you talk about an awkward moment for me and for this family and these church members. But can I tell you something that's even more awkward for some church members? It's when people come into a worship service and unbeknownst to them, the pastor's topic for that day is on the subject of giving. And in that awkward, uncomfortable moment, their head goes down, their defenses go up, because in their minds, they'd rather have a root canal than than listen to a person talk about having a generous heart. I mean, anything but that. Talk about sexual purity. Ask me about circumcision in front of new friends, right? But don't cross the line and talk about my money And from a lot of years in ministry, I've discovered that sometimes a topic can grate against someone because it convicts them. By the same token, for those who are generous, they love messages on giving because they have experienced the joy that it brings, and they want to be challenged. So today, I want to talk about giving. And we have been in a series called Shadow Boxing we completed today today. It's what a a boxer will do to prepare for a fight. But it's not the same as actually being in the action. And we've learned that shadow boxing is the concept of being complacent in your faith and merely going through the motions. And Ashley and Mark have challenged us in this series to get in the ring, to get in the action, to go deeper in our worship and sharing our faith and serving and being in community with one another. But today, I'd, I'd like to share with you three practical reasons why we should grow in our giving. And each one of them, they come straight from God's word. Here's number one. God loves a cheerful giver. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 7, the Apostle Paul says, Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now, that word where we, we get cheerful from comes from a Greek word called hilarios. And you know what we get from that? It's, it's hilarious. So in other words, when we give, we should be bursting with joy to the point of laughter. We can't contain ourselves. It's, it's outrageous. It's countercultural. And yet we are happy to share with others and to return to God what already belongs to him. And so the starting place is to examine ourselves. Why do we give? Are our motives pure? And when we give, can we really do what the Apostle Paul says and give not reluctantly, but cheerfully? Two weeks ago, Beth and I were staying at a hotel in Houston for a couple of nights. And on the first night, as we were heading out to go somewhere, I Stopped by the front desk, and I said to the 40-something gal behind the desk, I said, hey, I said, would you like us to get you something? We're, we're going out. And we've started doing this the last couple of years. We really enjoy it. We'll ask if, if anybody wants anything. And I'm telling you what, they, they light up. They're so excited and so appreciative. So I said, would, would you like anything? She didn't miss a beat. She didn't hesitate. She said, uh, I'd like a Frosty and some chicken nuggets and I like to dip my chicken nuggets in ranch dressing. I said, awesome. So we kind of headed out. And for us, it's kind of like an adventure uh, on behalf of the employee. And we have so much fun with it. And a little while later, we returned with the goods. And when I, I handed it to her, she said, did you get the ranch dressing? <laughs> I said, yes, ma'am. It, it's, it's in there, I promise. And she kind of grunted uh, a thank you, just kind of said thanks, and, and that was about it. And after Beth and I were back in our room, and we had been there for, for some time, eventually I said, hey, I said that gal at the front desk, I said, she, she really wasn't real appreciative, was she? And when I said that, Beth joined in with me, and she said, she made no offer to pay for her food either before we got it or after we got it. And I said, you know what? She didn't even act surprised when we offered. She acted like she expected us to get it for her. And Beth said, you know what bothered me? Was she even, before she mumbled her thanks, the very first thing that she said was, did you get the ranch dressing? (laughs) And she was so worried about that. Now, I don't know what we were expecting from her. I don't know if I was expecting her to, to walk us to our room and to say, you will never know. You will never know what your generous purchase of the 10-piece pile of poultry, <laughs> coupled with the chocolate frozen treat, has meant to me. In all of my years, in the history of hotels, no weary traveler has ever shown such generosity, unselfishness, or humility. <laughs> I, I don't know what we were expecting, but it wasn't, did you get the ranch dressing, and the more we analyzed her response or the lack thereof, the more frustrated we became. I mean, Wendy's offers chicken nuggets in three different quantities, and I don't wanna make a big deal about this, but I had chosen the largest size for her. <sighs> My therapist says it's healthy for me to talk about it. <laughs> and I said to Beth, I said, hey, if that's the gratitude that we get, then I'm not going to offer to get her anything tomorrow night. No soup for you. <clears throat> <laughs> but then there was a pause, and then some silence, and Beth said, you know, her response shouldn't determine our giving. And then she said, I mean, if it, if it really is a gift, we should give it to her regardless of if she's appreciative or not. And Beth was right. And what I'm saying is, if I only give when I think that the recipient will be grateful, then I'm probably giving for the wrong reason. And if my motives are to receive a pat on the back or some recognition or an attaboy, then it's not truly a gift that I'm giving. It's more of a method for self-exaltation or for feeding a prideful ego rather than a desire to bless someone. Webster defines a gift by saying A gift is something voluntarily transferred or given With no expectation of compensation in return And we run into problems when we want to make our giving or our generosity contingent On how much appreciation or notoriety or thanks that we receive You give a million dollars to a hospital And you say, well, they'd better name that wing after me you start double tithing and you think, "Hey, someone from the church better give me a phone call because that ain't chump change that I'm putting in the offering." You you buy a frosty and a large order of chicken nuggets <laughs> for a hotel clerk and she better look you in the eyes and say, "Thank you from the bottom of my heart, thank you." But aren't you grateful? that God didn't give any qualifiers or contingencies before he sent the gift of his son, Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave. I'm glad that before we surrendered our lives to Christ, he had already decided to gift us his gift, regardless of our response. We love because he first loved us. But I wonder at times from God's perspective, if we seem ungrateful for his generosity. Hey, God, nice of you to live a perfect life and pay for our sins on the cross and all. And oh, yeah, and the eternal life thing, that's an important thing too. Thanks for that. But where's the good-paying job with health insurance that I have been asking you for? I'm waiting. And at times our apathetic and selfish response to God's ultimate gift must sound to our Heavenly Father like we're saying, did you get the ranch dressing? When the proper response should be falling on our knees in worship and gratitude and saying with the Apostle Paul, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift and God's generosity should inspire us to want to be generous. Well, here's a second reason to give. And that is that the Bible tells us it's more blessed to give than it is to receive. That comes from the book of Acts, chapter 20, verse 35, where it says, Remembering the words, the Lord Jesus himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. And like so many of Jesus' principles, it sounds counterintuitive, and yet it is so true. Giving is so fulfilling. That word blessed means a joy that the world can't take away. And the Bible speaks of three different kinds of giving. And the first type that it talks about begins all the way back in the book of Genesis, and that is tithing. Now tithing, it literally means a tenth part. It's talking about giving 10% of what you make to the Lord's work. And the strongest command comes out of the book of Malachi where God himself is speaking. And in Malachi chapter 3, verses 8 and 10, God says, will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings? Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. Now don't misunderstand this. Where it talks about pouring out so much blessing A lot of times people say, well, that means that uh, God's going to make me rich if I give to him. That's not what it says. God's blessings do not always take the form of financial blessings. He can bless you in a variety of ways. Maybe that's one of them, but maybe that's not. But God will bless you in his way, in his time. And this passage on tithing is the only time in the entire Bible where God ever says to us, Test me in this. How profound this must be. It's like he's daring us to allow him to prove his sovereignty. And over in the New Testament, Jesus himself commends the tithe. In Luke chapter 11, verse 42, Woe to you, Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. The former refers back to the tithes. And so Jesus had the perfect opportunity on that day to rescind that old covenant commandment. But instead, he elevates the expectation. In fact, he says, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees. So he elevates the expectation and while the old covenant taught us tithing, the new covenant teaches us generosity. When we, make, when we give the first 10% of our income back to the Lord, we make him the priority. We acknowledge his lordship in our life. And an all-seeing God notices that. Think of it like this. Tithing is a demonstration of our dependence on the divine. And I can't... I can't really explain exactly how it works, but if you watch this video, maybe they can explain it better than I can.
1: In 2016, we were both teaching in the same charter school in Queen Creek. Our children were three months old and two years old, and they stayed with Lauren's mother while we taught. At the end of the school year, my mother-in-law informed us that she would no longer be able to watch our kids due to health issues. We found ourselves staring down the fork in the road that so many parents face, whether Lauren would stay at home as a mom or whether we'd have to put our two young kids in daycare. We both prayed about it and felt led that Lauren should stay home with our children. What was far less clear was how we were going to get by on just one
2: teacher's salary. Tyler budgets, but tithing wasn't part of the picture back then. As he looked at our bills, outrageous family health insurance rates, mandatory biweekly retirement and student loans, we knew our small family could not survive on his salary alone. Plus, we didn't qualify for state assistance. Tyler's family generously offered me a part-time stay home job to help, but we still needed a miracle to make ends meet over the next two years. It was in that season that Tyler felt challenged and encouraged by Pastor Ashley's tithing message. We never doubted that the church would misuse funds. The transparency in the messages and the efforts from the church that we'd seen made that crystal clear. Honestly, we just couldn't wrap our heads around how to give out of an already strained budget. We knew we couldn't do it alone, so we asked God to help.
1: We learned to shop for what we needed versus what we wanted. Through weekly sales at the grocery store and clothes at secondhand stores, we learned to be totally aligned. Every week we tithe 10% of our gross income, just trusting that God was with us as we changed so much to grow closer to Him.
2: Tithing has been a major blessing in our lives and our relationship with God. Things were especially tight in those two years, but family and friends generously came to our aid. We are private people and don't discuss our struggles publicly, and yet the people around us donated items that we needed, things they didn't even know we were longing for, We trust that was God hearing our prayers. Normally, finances put a ton of strain on a marriage, but we didn't feel the pressure as much as we should have. Yes, our life choices changed with fewer date nights and shifting our desires for big name brand things, but tithing strengthened our family bond and grew our trust in God. As we look back, there's no way we should have survived. Nothing added up, and we didn't just survive, we flourished. We thank God and encourage others to trust Him to do the impossible. If you surrender yourself, place your needs at His feet and say, I cannot do this without your help, He's with you.
1: We tithe because we truly believe God can do more with 90% of our income than we can do on our own with 100%. We also give when we see a need so that we can bless others like others have blessed us. 1 Timothy 6:17 states command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth which is so uncertain but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment.
0: Hmm. Lord, I can't do this without your help. And Tyler and and Lauren took a step of faith, and they invited God into their finances. And every dollar that you give here at CCV will be used to win people to Christ, to train believers to become disciples, and to send disciples to impact the world. And our giving enables the church to offer programs, to give assistance, to invite people into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And perhaps one of the greatest joys of heaven will be that maybe we get to see the eternal fruit and the spiritual impact of our disciplined tithing over the years. Maybe we'll get to see and meet people who are in heaven as a result of our giving. And perhaps in heaven you'll get to see who is there because of of what you have have shared generously. Maybe that widow's $30 a week gift over the course of, of five years allows a dozen kids who otherwise couldn't go to camp to have that opportunity to go to to camp here at CCV in the summer. And let's say that half of those kids make a a commitment to Jesus Christ. Can you imagine the return on your investment that you would receive? Tithing is a a great way to communicate that you are for the valley. Now another type of giving that's talked about in the Bible is that of free will giving. After your tithing to the church, you'll probably want to add some ministries and causes that you have a heart for. Perhaps you're passionate about what they do or who they help, and so you do what we call free will giving. In the New Testament, we read about the the church in Macedonia and how quick they were to help other people out. In the book of 2 Corinthians, in chapter 8, verses 3 and 4, it describes the Macedonians. It says, for I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more, And they did it of their own free will. They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. So the church in Macedonia begged Paul to pass the offering plate. If this was in 2021 when the Bible was being written, we'd say, they were saying, please tell us the the website. Please tell us about your app so that we can give too. We don't want to be deprived of this opportunity. And free will giving allows you to be more specific with things that you have a heart for. You find things that you have a passion for. Maybe it's ministries or or causes that that you you care about. Perhaps it's disaster relief or, or new church planting or mission trips or helping those in Afghanistan that have been displaced. And CCV models the free will giving of the Macedonian church. And through your generosity and the leader's prudent oversight, it makes it more inviting for us to, to want to give here. I'm thinking of the Press On program that you had where you all gave $2 million to help with the counseling fees and in a variety of other ways for the mental health of people in this area during the trying times of the past year and a half. Another example of free will giving is, is when you all gave over $6 million in, in the More Than Us initiative, and CCV was able to pour into helping numerous churches in the valley. Free will giving is when you sponsor a child in Columbia. It's when you give to Street light. It's when you help a neighbor who is in need. You know who I've learned the most about free will giving from? It's from your pastor, Ashley. It wasn't from something that, that he has said in a sermon. It's from being a close friend and from watching his life And the way that he gives behind the scenes to help others in ways that that you will never know. Maybe you could be an example like that to someone within your sphere of influence. Maybe you could set that example. Well, the third type of biblical giving is that of sacrificial giving. And sacrificial giving, an example of that would be found in John chapter 12 where Lazarus' sister named Mary... They have this banquet in honor of Jesus, and she takes this expensive ointment that uh, she breaks, and she pours this ointment all over Jesus' feet. And the Bible tells us that it was worth a year's salary. And Judas is saying, what a waste. And Jesus is saying, what sacrifice. You see, there are just a few times in your life, you can count them on one hand, where you will feel compelled or prompted to do something like that, that is a total stretch for you. It's totally out of your comfort zone. But you yourself know when you are being prompted to do it. And it's one of those times where God just takes you out on a limb of faith and he says, you got to trust me on this. you got to trust me. And it's more than tithing and it's more than free will giving. It's just exponentially bigger within your own realm. And based on your own personal finances, sacrifice will always look different for each and every one of us. Maybe the largest sacrifice you'll ever be able to do will be to help someone go to college who could never go to college. And so you save and you act as if they're your own and you help them do that. Or maybe you help a couple adopt a child. Or for a single mom, it might be saving for a couple of years. And then all of a sudden giving a $1,000 gift to Phoenix Rescue Mission. Maybe for a successful business executive, it might be a a $200,000 gift to to help on a a new campus. Maybe for someone who has even more means than that, it would be to give a, a large gift in order to enable an entire new campus to be started reaching people for Christ. Those are rare moments in your giving journey. They are over and above your normal tithes and offerings. But sacrifice... Sacrifice is giving up something that you love for something that you love more. Sometimes it's planned, sometimes it's spontaneous. A few years ago, our family was on vacation down in Destin, Florida. We went there for a number of summers in a row. And on our first day in Destin, we were sitting at an intersection and the car in front of us was trying to turn left at a busy road. But when the light turned yellow, and then when the light turned red, they didn't go on through the intersection. Instead, they stopped, and they backed up. And we saw them coming toward us, and I honked my horn, but still they they rammed into us. And a few minutes later, an officer pulled up, and we moved our cars over into a parking lot. We started visiting with them, and we learned that they had just moved to Destin. It was a young couple. And you could tell that they didn't really have a lot. And then the guy shared with me that he had had another wreck recently. And so we were talking some with him. And the police officer says to me, he says, hey, you know, if you're going to file this with your insurance, then I have to give him a ticket. And then he's going to have to file it with his insurance. So he says, what do you want to do? Well, we all kind of assessed it. and We thought it was about $400 worth of damage. And so I said, you know, I don't want it. Your insurance premiums to skyrocket. I said, you know what? If you give me two hundred bucks, uh, we'll we'll call it even. And surprisingly, he had two hundred dollars in cash on him, which was probably his life savings. And they were very grateful for the grace, and they were extremely appreciative. Then we all got back in our cars and we headed on our way and we all ended up right back at the exact same intersection and we're watching this guy trying to turn left again and I'll never forget because my wife said, stay back, stay back. (laughs) (laughs) But while I was sitting there behind him, I was feeling pretty good about myself and I said to my family, I said, you know what, I'm so glad that, that we could bless them. And my teenage son, Sam, said, well, we didn't really bless him. And I said, well, what do you mean we didn't bless him? He said, we really didn't bless him. He said, you know what you'll do? He said, when we get back home, you'll take that $200. You'll call up a buddy of yours that works at a body shop. He'll discount the work down to $200. You'll give him the $200. It's a wash. You're not out anything. So you really didn't bless him. I said, well, what, what are you suggesting then? And said, you return the $200 back to him, and then we give him some money. And every parent understands what we (laughs) means, right? But that wasn't what he meant. He said, you give him his $200 back, and then every one of us, we give him all of the cash that we've got on us, in our wallets, in our purses, whatever we have, And that'll be a blessing to him. And we all agreed. I'd just gone to the ATM before we left home, so now I'm second guessing that decision. (laughs) So my daughter's getting everything out of her purse. Sam's getting everything out of his wallet. My wife is saying, I never carry cash. (laughs) So she's reaching for my wallet and enjoying taking everything out of it But while all this is going, we're driving and we're following this couple. So the next light turns red. They stop. Sam pops out of our car, runs up next to the guy's window, freaks the guy out. The guy puts his window down. Sam hands him this wad of cash and says, Jesus wants you to have this. He bolts back to the car. We honk and wave. I whip a U-turn around. We head the other direction and we never see him again. But my family would tell you that that is our greatest memory of that entire vacation. And although it was 10 years ago, I can remember it like it was yesterday. We derive more joy from that than that couple ever would. And when Jesus said it's more blessed to give than to receive, he was describing that type of joy That type of fulfillment that comes from when you let go and you freely share. It's a joy that you experience when your your small group hears about one of the small group members who's lost their job. And so you all rally together and you say, hey, don't worry about your rent payment next month. Our group, we've got you covered. It's the excitement that comes from buying someone's meal at a restaurant and getting out of there before they know that you've done it. It's the thrill that you get from watching your friend unwrap a gift that you know is totally unexpected, but, but just what they wanted. God loves a cheerful giver. It's more blessed to give than to receive. And the third biblical reason is simply, you will reap what you sow. Galatians chapter six, verse seven. Do not be deceived, God is not mocked. A man reaps what he sows. And no generous individual ever regrets giving rather than keeping, sharing rather than hoarding, because they know that they are sowing seeds. And the Christ follower desires to hold on to the things of this world quite loosely. It's not wrong to have things, especially if you use them to advance the gospel. The Bible gives us numerous examples and names of God's faithful who had plenty of stuff. They just made certain that the stuff didn't have them. And I have been around a lot of deathbeds, in hospitals and in homes, and I've heard a lot of comments in those final hours, and yet there's one that I've never heard. I've never heard a person say, you know, I gave too much away. Never been said. Toward the end of my granddad's life, he had a season where he became quite selfish when it came to money and possessions. He was in a pattern of making some very unwise choices. My grandmother had passed away two years before. My grandfather decided that he would take all of the farm equipment, all the family furniture, all of my grandmother's belongings, and he would sell them at a public auction to provide some cash for some luxuries that he wanted. Wise friends tried to talk sense into him, but nothing would dissuade him. And as you can imagine, the, the day of the auction was very emotional for the entire town, seeing these personal items displayed. I later learned that my, my grandfather's five children were given no chance to purchase items beforehand, even those of sentimental value. And when his kids asked about them, he looked at them and said, you will have the opportunity to bid on them like everybody else. And I vividly recall watching my uncle, who was in his 40s, bid $3 to buy his childhood wagon where he had painted his name on the side. It was a sad day. One of the family keepsakes that my mom was quite interested in was a beautiful wedding ring design, handmade quilt. It was my grandmother's favorite quilt, and so my mom really wanted to keep it in the family. However, a very determined antique dealer wanted to purchase it so that he could then resell it. And through the course of time, the bidding reached a point beyond my mom's self-imposed spending limit. And when it did, it was just more than she could bear. And so she withdrew from the bidding and overcome by emotion and wounded by her father's insensitivity. She just walked out of the auction area. And the auctioneer continued. The bids went higher. But then a strange scene began to unfold. As my older brother Jeff, who was in his mid-20s, and who had absolutely no money and no earthly interest in quilts suddenly began bidding and the bids went higher and higher and soon the auctioneer said sold they folded up Jeff's purchase and he carried it out of the auction barn and he found my mom and he handed her the quilt and he said I love you and they hugged We cried. And years later, my brother would say, I spent more than I really had. I paid more than I probably should have. But I never regretted buying that quilt. You know what's cool about that story? I discovered it this week while I was working on this sermon. On the day that Jeff gave mom that quilt, she was merely reaping what she had sown. You see all of his life my brother had witnessed my mom's generosity to the church, my mom's generosity to others. Whenever my parents received any unexpected money or dad got a bonus at work, they would tithe to the church and then they would give 25% to missionaries and then they would give the rest just to college students in need or randomly to someone who was hurting in her entire life. Mom was planting seeds of generosity in her sons. You will always harvest what you have planted. So here's my challenge. If you are not tithing this week, I would challenge you to pray about honoring God in that way for the next couple of months. Test God on this. Give it a try. It takes all of five minutes to set up online giving. I set up my online giving to CCV three years ago, I did it in five minutes' time. If I can do it, trust me, you can do it. Just go to the app, go to the website, click on give. Here's the other challenge for the rest of you. If you are already tithing, then this week I challenge you to give something to someone who you have nothing to gain from. In other words, give a gift to someone who can't reciprocate. That way your motives are pure. Maybe it's a tip you leave for a a server. Maybe it's to someone you know who's in need, but you give the gift anonymously. Maybe it's someone in line at the grocery store before you or behind you, and you just surprise them, and you pay everything, and then you just walk out the door. You know, a sermon on giving shouldn't make you feel awkward unless it needs to. But a sermon on giving should cause you to evaluate and do a personal inventory of your giving. Does your giving reflect your love for Christ? Does it reflect your commitment to this church? Because when it comes to generosity, you can slowly step away or you can lean into a life of generosity. And if you do, I promise you this, it will be a fun, thrilling, exhilarating journey of faith. Let's pray. Dear God in heaven, we thank you for your example of sacrificial giving. We Thank you for giving up your one and only son. We have no idea what that would feel like. Giving up your son so that we could have our sins forgiven and could have eternal life. Thank you for your model of generosity. Thanks be to God for your indescribable gift, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray and all God's people said Next week, we're going to start a brand new series on the life of Joseph. You're not going to want to miss it. Have a great week. Thanks for being here.